Hello, my name is Ben Sadler, and I'm here with John Mullen, and this is the What's Up With That podcast, a deep dive into life's biggest questions from a Christian point of view. Like I said, I'm here with my friend John Mullen, and uh, we, he- we we get together and have these conversations about, about questions that we struggle with, we know that other people are struggling with, and, and last week we talked about suffering, and this week we wanted to bring up a, a, a topic that's related about how do you get through suffering and things like that. Uh, so today's topic is, What's up with needing God to give me meaning and purpose in my life? And, and why is meaning and purpose so important? So uh, most of us understand that we need meaning and purpose, but we don't exactly know where that comes from and how do we find meaning and purpose and, and what is the driving thing that, that, that gets us out of bed in the morning? And I've been thinking about this a lot. This is a, a topic that I love to talk about. So um, I, I'm ready to jump right in. Um, so, John, just maybe to, to, to kind of open this up, um, you know, w- when you think about this topic and uh, why is this topic so important to you? You know, why do you think Christians um, would say the ultimate meaning and purpose comes from God? Why do you think this is such a, an important topic? Um, yeah, thanks. So, obviously, I think this is a question that science can't speak to. Um, in fact, I've heard, I've heard some scientists, um, some atheist scientists say that you know, all questions about meaning and purpose um, are are silly questions. Mm. Um, you know, I would argue that that the questions of meaning and purpose are the truly important questions. Right. Um, you know, I, but I guess from a from a naturalistic standpoint, um, if we're just you know the the random uh, product of time plus matter plus chance, um, I guess that that there really is no inherent meaning in life, and so that we're forced to create our own purpose and meaning in life. Um, but I question whether we can do that. Um, I question if it's sustainable. Mm. And I also question whether or not that even makes sense to do if there is no God and if this life is all that there is. So, yeah. So those are some things that, that I think about and I hope we can talk about today. Yeah. If there is no me, so you're saying, is it, what do you mean by, is it sustainable? What do you mean by that? Well, I mean, so... If we set these goals, if, if we set these goals to attain and, and we meet these goals, you know, I think as, as I'll bring up later, you know, we run the risk of, okay, we accomplished it. Now what? Mm-hmm. So, you know, if we create only our own, if we create our own meaning and purpose, are we going to have to keep doing it? Do we have to keep reinventing ourselves to keep, to stay engaged and to stay motivated? Mm-hmm. Um, which, which I think would be exhausting. Yeah. Um, I think I think instead of doing that, what we have to do is we have to turn to God and ask God, what what did you create me for, mm-hmm. and what do you have in mind for me to do? Okay, that's really good. Yeah, and and just so yeah, so it's not sustainable to live with no ultimate meaning and purpose. Right. That kind of what you're saying. Yeah, very good. So uh, we really want to dive a little deeper into this. Why is it so important to find meaning and purpose? And and let me tell you why I find this such a fascinating topic. Um, maybe to back up a little bit, I can think about when I was growing up, and and maybe I'm the only one who's like this. But I remember when I was a little kid, always being afraid to die. Uh, you know, I grew up going to church, and always being afraid that um, that when I die, I'm going to stand before God, and He's going to bring up all the stuff I've already done, and I would end up in hell. And I was I was so scared of dying. I don't know if most kids are like that, but maybe I was weird like that. But then I remember. I don't know, uh, 10, 10 years old or maybe something like that. I remember 
being in church, and I, I distinctly remember this because I was in the balcony, and usually I would, we would sit like 10 pews from the front on the right <laughs> side, and, and for a reason, we were sitting in a new place that time, and for a reason, we had a guest preacher, and he didn't say anything like completely unique. It was something that he, you know, that, that I've heard before over and over again, but for whatever reason, it was at that time that I heard, I felt as if he was speaking to me, and he said over and over again, you're not going to hell. You're going to be, you are forgiven. Jesus died for the cro on the cross for all of your sins. You're going to go to heaven and, and you don't have to be afraid to die. He just said these things. And I felt like for the first time it, it was to me and it kind of set me free and maybe want to, to, to become a pastor and maybe want other people to, 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 to know about this. But, uh, and so I, I became a pastor and then, um, I, I found out though, that, um, that is a really important question. What happens to me when I die? But, I kept on finding that the thing that people really struggled with was not where do I go when I die, but what am I going to do about living? I'm all right with dying. In fact, I'd rather have death come quicker. Um, what about when I'm, what, what gets me out of bed in the morning? What, what is the reason for me to live? I think about a woman who um, she had, uh, she was a nurse, fantastic nurse, but uh, she was going through this pretty severe depression. Her daughter ran away got involved in all sorts of drug use and everything like that. Uh, her husband had uh, abused her and abandoned her. And she came to our church and she heard the gospel, the good news that when she dies, she'd go to heaven. And, and this set her free. And she didn't struggle too much about that anymore. But what she struggled with was whether she should live or not. And she was coping with food and she was coping with all sorts of other things. So you had this nurse who became extremely unhealthy because she just didn't know why, didn't know what the purpose was for her life, didn't know how to. So I, I really struggled with that thinking, all right, I know what to say to a person about their death, but what do I tell a person when they're alive? And then about five years ago, I ran into this book called A Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. It's one of the most influential books um, in the last hundred years. And, and you've, you've read that book, right? I have. Yeah. yeah. It's a great book. So um, for those of you who don't know anything about the book, Viktor Frankl was a Jewish psychologist who was in a Nazi concentration camp. And he looked at his time in the concentration camp from a clinical perspective. He, he, he realized that he had basically had a one in 28 chance of surviving. Uh, and he knew what the Nazis' main goal was. What the, the Nazis' main goal was to exterminate the Jews. And so, um, and, and he understood what their most lethal weapon was. Their most lethal weapon was dehumanization. That what the, what the Nazis were trying to do was to strip people of their identity. So they took away their name and gave them a number. They took away their clothes and put them in a jumpsuit. They took away meaningful work and treated them like beasts. They only called them by their number. They, they, they didn't have a name anymore. And they wanted to treat them like cattle. And they knew that if they could get people to believe that they were meaningless animals, many of them would, as Viktor Frankl said, run into the wire, run into the electric wire, just give up on life. And it was the, one of the fastest ways to, to exterminate the Jews was strip them of meaning and purpose. So what Viktor Frankl understood was, if I can hold on to this idea that my life has meaning and purpose, that I'm not an animal, I'm not an accident, that I have a reason to exist, if I can hold on to that, I will have a reason to get out of the bed every day and, and survive. And it worked. Not only him, um, but many other people came to this realization as he was encouraging people to believe that their life, even their life of suffering, had meaning and purpose. 
and and he came up with this therapy called logotherapy uh, where you, you you help people um, focus on the fact that their life has meaning and purpose so for example what he would do even after he got out of the concentration camp if somebody was suicidal he's running this clinic somebody's suicidal and he would meet with them and he'd ask them the question you know why don't you commit suicide why don't you commit suicide that's kind of a straightforward question and then he would say uh, they would say something like well i have a family or i want to write a book or i have this job i need to finish and then he would drill down deep into that he would say all right let's talk about that let's continue to find meaning and purpose and he helped people see that they had a reason to get out of bed anymore. It was just, for me, when I read that book, it was a revolutionary idea. And it was a pretty revolutionary idea in Frankel's time. I'm sorry, I'm going on a sermon go here. Ahead. <laughs> go ahead. Preach it. All right, thanks. Yeah, I'm a preacher. This is, I can go off on it. But um, what, what, what was so fascinating about this is um, it was kind of a controversial idea because especially in the 1940s when he was coming to these conclusions, um, many people were steeped in Freud. Freud's theories. And Freud came from a purely Darwinian idea that we're mere animals. And how do you motivate an animal? You give them food and pleasure and sex. And, 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 and if you want to motivate them to not do something, you give them pain. And so Freud said that we have a will to pleasure, that our primary motivation in life is pleasure. Then there was another theory about that same time uh, out of uh, Friedrich Nietzsche uh, had a similar, uh, he also came from a Darwinian perspective, and he said, we're, you know, survival of the fittest, uh, the, 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 might will, the mighty will survive. And so he said, our main motivation is a will to power. And then Viktor Frankl, he came into this conversation and he, and he said, all right, when we, was, we were in the concentration camp, we didn't have any power and we didn't have any pleasure. So we had don't we didn't have those two motivations. All we had left was meaning. That 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 we still had meaning. That we could still use our days, even as prisoners, to love people, to take care of people, to suffer well, to over to 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 not give in to the the um, the, the Nazis' lies and change our attitude and still have a positive attitude, even in the face of horrible suffering and overcome our suffering by changing our attitude, all these wonderful things. And it worked. He, he helped people and himself survive this really horrible situation. So when I started to see that, I, it clicked for me. Not only do people need to hear that Jesus died on the cross for their sins so that when they die, they'll go to heaven, but they also need to know that their lives have meaning and purpose. And then I started to ask the question, is that biblical? Um, and so then I kind of started to go into the Bible and started to see, does God ever motivate us with meaning and purpose? And I started to think about stories like Elijah. Elijah, this prophet who was so depressed, he said, I've had enough, God. No one wants to listen to me anymore. I'm no better than my ancestors. Take my life. And what did God say to Elijah? He didn't say, um, I forgive you your sins. When you die, you'll go to heaven. Elijah wanted to die. He was ready to die. God said to Elijah, get up, eat a meal, and I got work for you to do. You got stuff to do. Stop feeling sorry for yourself and go after it. And I realized that that's what we need to hear sometimes. We don't just need to hear that there's good news for when we die, but there's good work for us to do today. So that's my sermon. Um, what do you, how do you respond to, you know, aren't some circumstances that are so difficult that finding meaning or purpose in them is impossible? Um, how would you respond to that? Yes, absolutely. Um, I have read this book, and it, it's, a, it's a great book. 
It's one of my favorite books. It's not necessarily, I don't think it's a Christian book, but no. it is, um, it's, it's a tremendously good book. And, um, you know, my first thought about it, and I guess the Holocaust in general, and I don't want to veer too far off topic here, but I think when, when you look at the Holocaust, what you see there is really naturalistic evolution lived out in, in real time, in real life, okay? It's the, it's the survival of the fittest. It's the strongest and most powerful dominating and consuming the weaker or mm -hmm. less powerful. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of what happens when, when we take God's place and we put value on a human life instead, yeah. of, instead of accepting what God has said the wow. human life's value is. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, you know, and I'm not by any means saying that, that, that atheists, you know, all feel this way or anything like that. I'm just saying that I think that the Holocaust is, can be a natural outworking of the atheistic worldview. Mm -hmm. um, so, so to, to the, to Viktor Frankl, um, so yeah, so he, he did, he was able to find meaning and purpose in life and it came from outside of himself. And I think this is a good example of why our meaning and purpose does have to come from outside of ourselves because he was stripped of everything. He lost his family. Yeah. He lost his job. He lost his title. He lost everything. And, um, you know, so, so when you get to that place, you know, really all you've got left is, is yourself and, and God. So, mm -hmm. um, but you know, anyway, I think I, I have a quote here just to, sure. to, to add to that, you know, uh, so he talked about how even in these very difficult situations, people could find uh, hope in their spiritual life. Yeah, when they got stripped of their name, their title, their family, their clothes, even their bare naked bodies that got stripped of their hair, everything. He said, in spite of all the enforced physical and mental primitiveness of the life of a concentration camp, it was possible for spiritual life to deepen. People were able to retreat from their terrible surroundings to a life of inner riches and spiritual freedom. So um, he says, despite losing everything, he saw people who were able to find refuge in their inner riches and a spiritual freedom. What a beautiful thing mm -hmm. for a psychologist to be honest enough to look at this uh, just objectively, right? Yeah. That's, that's amazing to me. I mean, how anybody could even survive the concentration camp in the first place is, yeah. is amazing to me. But um, I guess, you know, it's looking at our lives here today. I mean, obviously, you know, hopefully we're never going to find ourselves in a concentration camp and, and hopefully we'll never lose all of our family, you know, the way he did. Um, but I think, I think here where we live and in our situation, we're kind of on the other end of that spectrum. So um, you can... You can fall into hopelessness if if you're suffering and and if you're in pain and if you have, you know, really no no power. But um, what about where, like where we live here? What about success? Can that lead to meaninglessness yes. and hopelessness? Yeah. And I think I think that's the danger that we faced here in our society yeah. and in, in our culture yeah. is what happens when when we do succeed when yeah. we when we get that job or we succeed at this. You know, then is. What is the feeling then? I, I remember hearing someone quote uh, a very rich and famous, successful um, uh, businessman in the technology field. I don't know if he's from Google or Apple or whatever it was, but this man was kind of, you know, describing how how hard he had worked all his life, and he said, um, you know, I wish someone would have told me that once you get to the top of the mountain, there's nothing there, mm. and and G.K. Chesterton has has a similar kind of a quote. 
uh, his, at least it was attributed to him, I'm not sure if he said it or not, but anyway, um, G.K. Chesterton said, um, I'm convinced that the worst kind of meaninglessness does not come from being weary of suffering or being weary of pain. The worst kind of meaninglessness comes from being weary of pleasure. Mm. That's why we can find ourselves emptied of meaning with our pantries still full. Wow. And so that's what we have to, that's what we have to, I think, guard against right here is, is what do we do when all of life's pleasures don't fulfill us anymore? Or what about the great theologian, Jim Carrey? Exactly. <laughs> yes. He said that, what was his quote? It's something like, um, I wish people would become rich and successful and get everything they ever dreamed of so they would realize it wasn't what life was about or something exactly. to that point. You know? Exactly, exactly. And that's a really, that's a scary place to be because when you're at the top, there's nowhere to go but down. Yeah. And so, so yeah, we, we have to look to God and um, I think that's a good example of why. Yeah, and Viktor Frankl's got this great quote. He was worried about this, actually, after he got out of the concentration camp and he ran a clinic uh, in the in, in Vienna in the 1950s. He, he did talks in, in the United States and he read the medical journals in the United States and he was really concerned uh, about the culture in the United States back in the 1950s because he said the aim for so many people in the United States is happiness. And he says, happiness is a byproduct of finding a meaningful life. It can't be an end in itself. Mm -hmm. And when you make happiness an end in itself, it, you destroy happiness. Yeah. It, you find out it's not, it's not actually as fulfilling as what you thought it was. And he was really concerned, which is so ironic. You know, he, he, he gets out of the concentration camp. He's gone through all of this stuff. And he's worried about the people in the United States. Now, if that was true in the 1950s, that, 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 and, and what he was concerned about is he, he was concerned that that um, because they made happiness in the United States the ultimate goal, many people were unhappy because they were so unhappy because <laughs> yes. they never could reach out to it. And he said they didn't have a category for suffering in the United States. Now, if that was true in the 1950s, how much more true is it today where we just have no capacity for suffering? And, and, and we believe that life is about getting pleasure and avoiding suffering. So that becomes our moral compass. You know, as long as it feels good, I'll do it. And I'll keep on trying to fulfill myself and do something that makes me feel good. Uh, but that's a, it's a never-ending hole. It's not a place to find meaning and purpose. And I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but doesn't Viktor Frankl also have a quote? Uh, I'm a quote guy, in yeah. case you haven't noticed. Um, doesn't he also have a quote, something like, if, if you don't find um, deep meaning and purpose in life, you'll distract yourself with pleasure. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And so, yeah, so that applies to what you were saying. Too. And what, what are we doing now? I mean, we're walking around bumping into things yeah. with our phones because we want to stay distracted. Like it's too hard to stop and think about the reality of life and its meaninglessness uh, with, without, with, but, but we can find meaning. And, and that's, um, th that's what we want to get to right now is, mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, and, and another great book to, to, that you could kind of read with Viktor Frankl's book is read the book of Ecclesiastes. Mm -hmm. Where you had, you know, that's kind of what you were talking about, that pleasure uh, written by uh, Solomon, who had everything. Mm -hmm. He wasn't suffering. You know, you could read Job. Job is the op op opposite spectrum when he was suffering, wondering, is God going to, is there any meaning in my suffering? Uh, what's going to happen to me? And, and, and he found hope in the Lord there. But then also very next to Job in the Old Testament, you have this other book of the Bible, Ecclesiastes, about a man who has everything. And, and, and Solomon's big struggle is, I have it all, and yet it all seems empty. Mm -hmm. 
And the word meaningless is actually, uh, actually hevel, which means vapor. It's all a vapor. Uh, it's there for a little bit. I can see it for a little bit, but when I try to hold on to it, it, it disappears. And so um, that being said, where do you find meaning when, when, now that we realize that meaning is essential, if you lose meaning, you lose hope, you will give up on life. You will either commit suicide, you will just check out, you will distract yourself with pleasure, you will check out mentally, physically, emotionally. You know, lots of times when people retire, it's a dangerous thing sometimes to retire because you lose a sense of uh, self-worth and something to get up every day. You know, people, it's, there's a lot of statistics that people die quickly after they retire because they don't have that reason to do something. But so um, now that we realize uh, uh, with Viktor Frankl's study and, and uh, what I love about the book is if this is true in the concentration camp, it's true everywhere. If it's true that only meaning and purpose led to the survival of Viktor Frankl, if, it, if it's been taken through the fires of the Holocaust and come out being a true theory, then it's true everywhere. So if it's true, and it is true, that our human beings crave meaning. In fact, Viktor Frankl's phrase that he kept on talking about was, if a person has a why, they can endure almost any how. That's what I love about being around kids. They're always asking why questions, right? Like, why is the sky blue? Why do I have to do this? Why I have to do that? Because they are—they don't have that filter because human beings are always asking why. They want to know why. And if you, like you were bringing, the, you talked about that in the beginning, um, the this idea of um, atheists saying, well, we don't need a why. We can just live for today. Why do we need an ultimate why? Like, that's a dangerous thing to say because people will give up. Uh, is there any reason, you know, any 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 um, surprise that so many people are giving up on life when we have said, well, you don't need a meaning. So anyways, blah, blah, blah. To circle back around, if it's true that we need a meaning, if it's true that we need a why to endure almost any how, where do we find the why? Right. Where do we find the why? And I think that's where we have to bring in um, the Christian aspect into yeah. this discussion. This is where we have to bring God in. And we have to answer the question, why do I have to find my ultimate meaning and purpose in God? Can I define my own purpose? Mm -hmm. um, I think it's important to make the point that goals are a good thing. Setting yeah. goals are a good thing. Yeah. Um, but your goals can't aren't your meaning and purpose. Okay, so... You know, your goals answer questions like, what should I do? Or, or what do I want to do? But meaning and purpose answers the why questions. Like, mm -hmm. why? first of all, why am I here? Mm -hmm. Why should I set goals? Why should I care? Right. And if there is no God, and if this life is all there is, yeah. what what's the point? Right. Um, you know, and, and I would argue that if there is no God, and if there is, if this life is all that there is, and there's nothing after this, there's no judgment, there's nothing, I would say that, that there is no meaning and purpose in life. Right, right. You know what? Put it this way. I ask you a question. Would you stay up all night long studying for a test, working very hard, studying on a test, if you knew you were going to hand this test in to your teacher and your teacher was just going to rip it up and throw it away in front of you and it was going to have no bearing on your grade whatsoever? No, you wouldn't. You wouldn't yeah. stay up all night working yeah. hard. You'd rather be doing eating or sleeping or resting or partying or, or whatever, you know, and that's kind of that's kind of the whole the whole ball of wax, the whole life. Like if 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 there is no God, if there is no if there is no afterlife, then why don't we all just, just do whatever feels good and just overload ourselves with pleasure? But like we just said, overloading ourselves with pleasure leads to meaninglessness. Um, 
but also, like you mentioned, Ecclesiastes and, and Solomon, like you said, he said, I denied my heart no pleasure, you know, denied yeah. my heart no pleasure, but I, I, I found after a while that that was meaningless. But then he also goes on to say, you know, I looked out and surveyed and saw all the toil and all the striving and all the struggling of men trying to make it, yeah. and that's meaningless. Mm -hmm. You know, so, so you've got meaninglessness if you're overloaded with pleasure, you've got meaninglessness if you're overloaded with work and yeah. just striving to get to the top of the mountain. Yeah. So where do you go? Right. So and, and I think that is what answers our question today. That is why we need God because, because there is a God, because this life isn't all that there is, and it's leading up to something much bigger and much better, and, and that's why it matters. Yep. Yep. That's great. That's really good. And I'm, as I'm thinking about these thoughts, I've been preaching through the book of Philippians, and Paul is in prison. This Apostle Paul, he's this uh, guy who used to hate Christians, and now he became a Christian, and now everything that he used to have was stripped away. Like Viktor Frankl, he lost his, his reputation, he lost his job, he was kicked out of the religious circles, he was despised by people, and he's, he's in a Roman prison cell, which is not like, a, you know, we think prison today, like, uh, you know, you don't get cable TV in a Roman prison. You don't have like three meals a day. This is really a bad situation. And he said in this beautiful letter, uh, rejoice in the Lord always. He says, um, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He said, I'm going to live to exalt Christ. And and that's where you, I, I find, I mean, if you want to get very specific, what does it look like to find meaning and purpose in the Christian faith? I think it looks like this. To spend every day exalting the hero of history. That, that there is a bigger story that started before we got here and it's going to end after we get here. And the bigger story is, is that God created a good world, that human beings rejected this God, walked away from him, wanted to be our own gods, wanted to decide our own meaning, wanted to decide our meaning apart from God. And God loved us so much that he sent um, a Harry Potter into our world, right? Like uh, that whole Harry Potter story is like totally built off of this Christian story. Mm -hmm. He sent Jesus into the world to be the hero of history. And, and Jesus um, came in and, and lived the, the God-honoring life we were supposed to, died on the cross, rose again to show his victory over uh, our sin and death. And he's coming back again, not just to judge, but the Bible says to make a new heavens and new earth, that we're going to be resurrected and we're going to live in that world. And right now he's even reigning on high and our meaning is to be found in him, to be made children of God through him, and then to live like children of the king, to live under this new kingdom, to show people what it looks like to live in a kingdom of justice, to live in a kingdom where we put others first, to live in a kingdom where the, the most powerful people use their power to serve, um, where we give up our life like Christ gave up his life. And so we find meaning and purpose almost reenacting the life of Christ, mm -hmm. to, to put Christ's life on display with our life. And you can do that whether you're suffering with cancer, whether you're going through bankruptcy, whether you're a CEO of a great company, whether you're, whatever situation, and that's what Paul says at the end of his letter. He says, um, I've had it all. Every, I mean, I know what it's like to be well-fed. I know what it's like to starve. I know what it's like to be rich. I know what it's like to, have poor, to be poor. I know all the extremes. And here's the secret to contentment. He says, I am strong in the one who strengthens me. My strength does not come from my circumstances. 
whether it's good or bad, whether people like me or don't. My strength comes from the fact that I'm united with Christ, that God loves me based on um, his work, and I am reenacting his life in everything I do. I'm, I'm putting his life on display. And you can do that no matter what's going on. And, and you start doing that. And, and so here's what happens. I, I've taken that letter to uh, an old woman in a nursing home. Um, there's a woman in a nursing home who's just a, a fantastic Christian. And every time I'd go see her, she would tell me about her funeral plans. She would tell me which hymns she wanted at her funeral, what service. Like She's always working on her funeral. That's all she did. And, and I would come in and talk to her. And we'd talk about when she would die and her funeral and all of that stuff. Um, and she would say the same things like, Pastor, my husband's gone. I'm not in my home anymore. All my friends are already dead. Why isn't God taking me? I got my funeral all set. And then I showed her these words from Philippians. And I said, um, Paul says, you know, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. If I'm to go on living, that means fruitful labor for me. And I told her, look, Elaine, if, if God, you know, if God, uh, you know, is still putting breath in your lungs, if he's still got time for you, or if, you still got, if, you're, if you're still alive, that means there's good work for you to do. There's stuff for you to do to exalt Christ. You know, I need you to pray for us in our congregation. There are maybe letters that you can write to your children encouraging them. There are people in the lunchroom at this nursing home that need to hear um, good news, that there's still good work for you to do. And you know what was so great? She came alive. Yeah. Like when I started telling her there's still work for her to do, she came alive. And I think that's what our teenagers need to hear. That's what everybody of every age needs to hear, especially people in nursing homes. That's what the guy, you know, the 40-year-old guy who just lost his job needs to hear. That's what the woman who just went through a divorce needs to hear. That their life is not over. If they still have breath in their lungs, don't give up. God's got good work for you to do, to exalt Christ, to reenact the life of Christ, to, to put Christ's life on display, to, to show the world the one who's rescued you up until the very last breath that you have. What do you want to say to that? I think that's really good. I, I, really good. I, here's how I would put it. If I'm asked, you know, if my kids or somebody would ask me, you know, what, what, is, what is the meaning of life? I guess the way I would put it is the meaning of life is to be in relationship with God and to do his will, whatever that might be. Mm -hmm. um, I think, you know, that because this life isn't all that there is, because there is a God. And I think, you know, another thing I'll say here, I'll go out on a limb and say, I think we all know that. Yeah. I, you know, maybe I shouldn't say all, but I think I think deep down we all know that there is a God and right. we all know that there is something more than just this life. Like there's right. something else. Um, we, we might suppress it. We might not want to admit it. We don't want people to think that we fell for the God thing or whatever. But I think we all know that. And, you know, so I think I think we all also have this, this until we receive God, we have this empty space in us, you know, right. and it, it, they're just seem, we try to fill it with different things, whether it be alcohol or food or, you know, whatever kind of pleasure or sports or whatever, but it never really satisfies. Right. And, and it's because that, that space in us is, is just a space for God. And until we fit him in there, uh, we're never going to be fulfilled. So, you know, I would encourage people just to, to take that step, to put God in the center of your life where he belongs. And um, I think at that point you will, you will find meaning and purpose, ultimate meaning and purpose right. in your life. And then you can enjoy the good days and the bad, right? You go to the, go to the football game and enjoy a good meal and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. But you're not going to put that good stuff into the ultimate place. Like right. the ultimate goal is to have a 
really good meal mm -hmm. or to feel pleasure. No, those are just good gifts of a good God. And he, he gives and takes. And sometimes we have those things and sometimes we don't. But I'm not going to give up on life if my life is not always filled with pleasure. Right. And I'm not going to destroy my family or my health in pursuit of pleasure because my ultimate pursuit is to know God and be found in him. Mm -hmm. And then those other things are good, but they're not in first place. Yeah, so exactly. very good. Well, I think we covered a ton of great uh, material here. Mm -hmm. So I hope that you pass this on to other people. Uh, the, the, we want to do this to continue to encourage other people to to, to look into the scriptures, to look into the Bible, to find a congregation. So would you um, like this on iTunes or on Google Play or however you're listening to this podcast? Would you pass this on to other people and let people know um, that they can uh, they, they, that they should give God's word a second chance and take a look? And uh, we will give God all the glory for what he does through your work. All right, well, have a wonderful day and God bless you and pursue a life of meaning and purpose that can ultimately only be found in Jesus Christ. Adios.